All right, let's go, let's go to that first slide. Now, all of you guys, your typical uh, Christmas service, they read from Luke, right? I'm going to start there, but I'm going to try to make sense of all this stuff. Luke 2.8, now they were in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Here's, here's what's interesting, is uh, every time somebody saw Jesus, what did he tell them to do? Fear not. Don't be afraid. You've got nothing to fear, guys. You're going to meet the, the lover of the universe when you actually pass out of this world. And it's going to shock you, the unconditional love he has, I think. So then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to how many people? To all people. Isn't that interesting? All people. For there is born to this day in the city of David a what? He was born. He died for our iniquities, he said, but he rose for our justification. For here is born to this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's what we were just singing. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Why is this a sign? We'll answer this in just a second. So we go to the next slide, verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, what did he bring to earth? Shalom, peace, irene in Greek. He says, shalom, goodwill towards men. I think most of our life, religion is trying to get you to do something for God. How many of you guys know none of us can do anything? He had to come do it for us. See, Christianity, you know, people go, are you a Christian? I go, it depends. <laughs> Define that for me. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's like, I don't want to be classed with a lot of them, to be honest with you, because they don't understand it. Not that they're not good people, but most Christians think, hey, you got to go do something and do these things, and somehow I'm going to get on God's checklist where I've done a little bit. Guys, we can do nothing. All we can do is respond to how good he is to us. That's the gospel, is he did everything for you. All we can do at the end of the day is go, thank you, Lord, I'm saved. Now, your confession doesn't make you saved. He saved you. He was the Savior. Amen? So, glory to God in the highest on earth, shalom, goodwill towards men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us go down to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass which the Lord has made known to us. Now, did the angel tell them where to go? No. They knew as soon as this, that uh, the shepherd, or when the angel said the Savior is born, they knew exactly where to go. If we go to this next slide, now why? This is kind of interesting. Is the Old Testament, if you want to understand how the Old Testament and the New Testament fit together, they're not just one big thing. You guys know that? There was an old covenant and there's a new covenant. The old one faded away, it passed away as the new one came, is what it says. So anytime you see scripture where it says fading away, old, decaying, the old man, the old brother, the, the Leah versus Rachel, all the different types are just an old one, which shadows to a new one. They're all pictures of Jesus. So Jesus said, here's how you interpret the Bible. All those Psalms, the laws and the prophets, the, the Torah, the whole thing, the old, old testament is all stories of who? Him him. So you cannot look at the Old Testament. Now we can, it says all scripture is good to learn things from, but it's not to go follow. You can't do it. It was pictures of what Jesus did for us. And anytime you see death in the old covenant, where do you see in the new covenant? Life. So when he fulfills things, what looked like death, our old man died, our flesh died, but he rose again, a spiritual man, which we are all today. Amen. He's conquered sin and death, but the old covenant prophesied exactly where to go. And so in Micah 5, 2, it says, <clears throat> but you, Bethlehem Ephrata. You guys know what Bethlehem means? The house of bread. He was the manna, the bread from heaven. 
It'll, it'll all start to make sense. Ephrata. Ephrata means fruitfulness. So there were two different Bethlehems. There was a Bethlehem and a Bethlehem Ephrata. So scripture clearly told them where it was going to happen. It says, but you, Bethlehem Ephrata, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be the ruler in Israel. So they all knew. If you go look in scripture, I think it's in Matthew as well as um, in John somewhere, the Pharisees and the Sadducees knew that he had to come out of Bethlehem. Because of these prophecies. He said, he's going to come out of Bethlehem. And then Micah further prophesied, the king will come from Migdal Adair. I don't know if uh, Joe and Jill are here, but... Uh, oh, there you are. Okay. You guys were there, just there, right? It's kind of comical to me. How many of you guys know Jewish people are typically good business people? <laughs> I, it's funny because they've set up that... I think it's comical. Some of you guys might think this is like blasphemy, but I, I think it's so classic. Because these guys knew. They went on a trip to Israel last year. and They bring them into town, right? And they have this... Did, how much did you have to pay to get there? Or was it a package deal? It was a package deal. It was a package deal, but tourists have to come pay where the birth of Jesus was. They got this big thing, and they look at all of you and go, we'll take your money, no problem. We'll take your money to come see where he was born. But then Joe goes, uh, yeah, but where was he really born? Where was Migdal Adair? And what did he say to you? Well, it's, it's down over the hill over here. <laughs> Their money-making gig is not where he was actually born. They don't want you to go down there. That's outside the city. So it's just, I think it's funny because none of that, he, God's got a sense of humor in my opinion. He goes, hey, the Jewish people are good business people. They'll, they can get you to come into the city, but go down on that hill somewhere. They, they don't want to, the buses can't go down there, right? So anyway, Migdal Adair means tower of the flock in Hebrew. So Migdal, Micah further prophesied the king will come at Migdal Adair, the tower of the flock. Micah 4, 8, and it says, and you, O tower of the flock, in Hebrew that says Migdal Adair, okay? The stronghold of the daughter of Zion, to you it shall come. So the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, the picture of Jesus, even the former dominion shall come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. So the kingdom's going to start right there at Migdal Adair. You guys understand all this? All right, so let's hit this next picture. Now, this is a tower of the flock, and I'm going to kind of explain this as uh, I don't know if this is the real one. It could be just the same thing. They're trying to make money. But this was an example of a tower of the flock. As for you, the tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you it will come. It's Micah 4.8. But that is, a, a, that is a typical strong tower which sat out among, among, among the, uh, the fields where the shepherds would watch to protect their sheep. Now, how many of you guys heard the story where there's no room in the inn? So you have this picture that um, Jesus is born in this dirty little horse stall. Is that, isn't that kind of the picture you got? That is not even close to what happened. So you see those little uh, uh, doorways under the tower there? That is a, a, there was a room under the tower that the rabbinical priests that took the lambs that were going to go to Jerusalem for sacrifice, when the, when the ewes were about to give birth, they would bring them into the tower, protect them there, and I'll explain all this in a second. But it was rabbinically clean because these lambs that were born there had to be perfect with no spot or blemish. So Jesus was actually born in this cave under the tower of the flock where it was perfectly rabbinically clean, which all the lambs that were going to go to this, the temple sacrifices were born. Is that cool or is that cool? So it wasn't your son's little Home Depot project where they got this wooden manger. And that's the next slide. Because here's what a manger is. If we go to this next picture, that is a manger. It doesn't look like a... You can go Google any of this. Go, go Google manger in uh, biblical times. It's a stone feeding trough. Now, there's so much symbolism here. I don't have time to get into it. I, I would just... We could spend 
five weeks on the symbolism in Jesus' birth, but literally, he was the lamb, he was the bread from heaven that uh, was born. Now, here's what's really interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll read from uh, Alfred Edersheim in just a second, but I want to show you just some typology of in the Old Testament. So how many of you guys know that David was a shepherd, right? And he protected his flocks, and what did he kill? The lion and the bear, the beasts, to protect what? His lamb. So this field is the same field that Jesus was born in, the tower of the flock, where David, a type and shadow of Jesus, defeated the beast, humanly nature, so we could be redeemed. How many of you guys know the story of Boaz and Ruth? Exact same field. Now, what was Boaz? The kinsman redeemer, the near relative that purchased back all of our property, right? And Ruth, was, was, she, was she an Israelite or was she a... Moabite. She was not a Jew. She was a Gentile. If you know the story, Ruth thought she had to just go get the scraps along the outside of the field, the gleaners. They would leave some on the very outside, but our kinsman redeemer, Boaz, took Ruth from just getting scraps on the outside of the covenant right into the middle and married Ruth, which is you and I, and gave us, we became gleaners where we only had the scraps to full reapers where we go reap the harvest with Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? It's the exact same field where Jacob took Rachel. How many of you guys know what Rachel means in Hebrew? Female lamb, the ewe, to give birth at the exact same place where Jesus was ultimately born. So Jacob brings Rachel, the female ewe, to give birth to a lamb. And he was named twice there. It says Benoni, which is the son of sorrows. If you read Isaiah 53, it says mankind looked at him as son of sorrows. We, deemed him, we, re, we esteemed him stricken is what it said. But God said, no, no, no. He's not Ben-Oni. He's Ben-Yamin, Benjamin, the son of my right hand. Isn't that beautiful? But I want to read this from Alfred Edersheim. If you want to go get the life and times of Alfred Edersheim, it's a tough read, but it's, it's amazing. He was a, a, basically a Jewish scholar that converted to Christianity. And here's what he said about this wasn't just a junky little horse stall. This was perfectly timed, the exact same place where Jesus had to be born. He had to be born in Bethlehem Ephrata, right where Jacob, gave, Jacob and Rachel gave birth to Benjamin, the son of his right hand. All these different types and shadows had to happen. And so here's what's interesting. Here's what it says. Migdal Adair, the tower of the flock, was located in the northern part of Bethlehem, built to protect the temple flocks. During the lambing season, the sheep were brought from the fields as the lower level functioned as a birthing room for sacrificial lambs. So it was in the strong tower, in that tower where Jesus was actually born, where it was clean. It had to be. And so during the lamb season, the sheep were brought from the fields as the lower level functioned as the birthing room for the sacrificial lambs. Priestly shepherds would wrap the newborn babies in swaddling clothes and place them in a manger until they calmed down to keep them without defect. Now, how many of you guys know that the, the lambs that were born that were to the temple sacrifices, which were going to clean all of Israel of their sin, had to be spotless without defect? Have any of you guys seen a, a, a lamb or a cow or a horse when they're first born? What do they do? They're clumsy. They're flopping all over the place, Right? So here's what would happen. The shepherds, when, they would, when the ewes were about to give birth that, of the lambs that were going to go become the sacrifices, they would bring them up to the tower. And immediately when they would give them birth, they'd wrap them in swaddling clothes so they couldn't move and bang themselves and place them in the manger. So they didn't have one bruise or spot or defect on them, and they'd bring them to the temple to be a perfect spotless lamb. Now many of you guys know Jesus was the perfect spotless lamb. He's redeemed you perfectly, guys, as if you've never sinned forever. 
Even the sins you're going to commit 30 years from now, you think you're going to do to them? I don't even know what you're talking about. I've removed them as far as the east as to the west. It's such, I'm such a better savior than what you've ever been taught. All you have left is my blessing. You become a co-heir with Benjamin, the son of my right hand. You're in the place of honor again. Don't ever look at me as angry. I did everything to come and get you, to save you, to redeem you. Amen? You guys get it? Isn't that cool? So they placed them in the manger until they calmed down to keep them with, without defects, suitable to be sacrificial lambs for the sin of the Israelites. Bethlehem was special because the shepherds in this field, Bethlehem raised lambs for the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. The shepherds who heard the angelic choir and came to see the baby Jesus were certainly familiar with the technique to a birth a sacrificial lamb. Remember it says, this will be a sign to you, there will be a baby laying in a manger with swaddling clothes. It's exactly what they did to the lambs that were going to be the sacrifice. So when they said, here's what's going to happen, you're going to see this sign, they go, oh, this is the lamb that was being talked about in the old, old covenant. That's going to redeem all the world forever and ever and ever. He was the perfect sacrifice. Amen? In fact, the angels did not have to tell shepherds precisely where to go to Bethlehem to find Jesus because there was only one manger where sacrificial lambs were birthed, the cave under the watchtower of Migdal Adair. Isn't that cool? To me, that's very, very, very cool. That all the old covenant lines up perfectly, and that's exactly where Jesus was born. It's not this mistake. I think we have this mistake like, man, there was no room in the inn, and, and uh, man, Jesus has got to cut from scraps. He goes, no, no, no. I had this all planned out from the beginning to the end, exactly where it had to be. All of these are types and shadows of what I'm going to do for all people. Amen? So we go to this next slide. See, here's what I think this is all about, guys, is... Uh, the lamb, John 1.29 says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, what? The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the what? The world. The sin problem's been dealt with, guys. Most Christianity is trying to tell you stop sinning. And the real answer is it's an impossibility because he's removed sin as far as the east and from the west. It doesn't mean you're not going to mess up. Anybody ever messed up probably today? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, see, if Jesus came... To keep you from ever sinning again, how did he do? He didn't fail. He failed, didn't he? But if he came, so to give your heart a rest that I will never judge you based on your sin, based on your behavior ever again, I'm going to judge you based on my perfect sacrifice, how well did he do? Perfect. And that's what the world doesn't know, guys. So 1 Peter 1.18 says the same thing. For you knew that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed, bought back, like Boaz, the story, the Redeemer, I bought you back right? Perishable things that you redeemed from the empty way of the life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Guys, that's why he was in swaddling clothes, laid in a manger, which he became the bread of life. He became the food for all of his sheep. There's so much symbolism there. Precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. So the whole Christmas story, guys, is he is the Lord. He is the Savior. He was the perfect lamb. And if we go to the last slide here, and uh, uh, praise and worship, you can probably start coming. I should have just had you stay. This is going to be short, like I told you, amen? But I want you to understand all this. John 3.16 says this. I think, especially if you've been around the last couple weeks, most of our Christianity has been taught that somehow God was angry at us, and he had to punish sin. Isn't that kind of what this... 
But Scripture does not talk about that. You cannot find that anywhere. For John 3, 16, which most of you know, says this. For God so loved the world, he gave his son. It says he loved creation, all of us. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, how many of you guys think perish is rotting away? Isn't that kind of what you get, perish? But if you go look in, in Greek, it means lost. It has nothing to do with perishing. It says, I wish that none of you would be lost. So it's the same lost, apolumai in Greek, where it says, you were the lost sheep, where Jesus was willing to leave every other sheep until he found the very last one. He's willing to leave 99. When he's talking to the Jews, he goes, who would have this kind of shepherd? See, they would never do it. They would never leave 99 to go find every single person on earth. But this shepherd would. He's going to pursue you until he found you. And the truth is he already found you. Now, whether you know that or not, you don't know. So our job is the gospel is to go tell them what's already happened in Jesus Christ, not make it happen. But I can tell you this. He, had, there was, he was never mad at Adam and Eve. He was never mad at mankind. What he was was a loving father that would go to the ends of the world to do anything to go find us, his bride, his lost sheep. We were the coin that was so valuable that he did everything to find us. Does that make sense? And we were the son so valuable. The first son, Adam, is going to worship the second son, Jesus Christ, Benjamin. Guys, he'll do anything, including die for you, to show you his love for you. He was never angry at you. And he's never, ever angry at anybody else. His anger, his wrath is against sin, not us. It's against sin, which is destroying us. But he's never mad at your behavior. He's mad at the condition of our wrong belief where we think God was angry at us. And we separate ourselves from him. Guys, the greatest thing in the world is to share his unconditional love with everybody. And tell them the good news that they're already redeemed. They're already been paid for. They're sinless. Just like the spotless lamb. Amen? See, once we get that fear out of there, because 1 John says this, perfect love does what to fear? Cast it out. So how could the message ever be, hey, say these magic words, oh, you're going to burn in hell for the rest of your life. Does that, you tell that to a little child, does that make him feel, oh, what an amazing God? No, and even adults, we go, I, I don't know if I can ever trust a God like that. That sounds angry. Guys, he so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's why he came, out of his unconditional love for us to find the lost. It says that whoever believes in him shall not be lost anymore is really what that means if you go read it in translation. But have eternal life, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That literally means separate or judge good or bad. He doesn't judge us based on the good, bad tree. Does that make sense? He judges us based on what? Jesus Christ himself, the tree of life. So he says, I didn't come into the world to judge the world, but to sozo the world, how? Through him. He's your savior. He did everything. So God is for you and never against you. You guys believe that? See, his death was to prove to you there's no limit what I will do to come find my lost sheep. I was never angry at you. I was never angry at sin. I died for you so that you would know that sin is not a problem anymore and you're close to me for the rest of your life. You're a joint heir with me and there's no limit to the blessing I'm going to give you. Does that start to make sense? When you read scripture, you cannot find he was angry at us and he was going to punish Jesus for us. But it does say he loved us so much that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ. So the message of Christmas, some of you guys heard the message of Christmas is about what? Him? The message of Christmas is really about you. That he loved you so much that he gave his only son to redeem you. You're the lost coin that's so valuable. You're the sheep that was lost that's so valuable. You're the son that he'll do anything, even die for you, go to the ends of the earth to prove I'll never remove my blessing from you. I'll never remove my favor from you. 
You're sinless, you're spotless, just like me. I want to have a relationship with you. And all I'm going to do is bless you for the rest of your life. Isn't that cool? That is the message of Christmas. How cool is that? So, no service next week. Are you ready to go to do Barbie's thing? Okay. She wants... Mary, did you know? So... But uh, hey, all of you guys that supported this ministry this year, we want to say thank you. If you get it in before the end of the year, obviously, you'll, uh, uh, your giving will, will reflect it on this giving statement. But if you want to give, see, giving in the New Covenant is just like this. God so loved the world, he gave. Amen? So giving the New Covenant is not out of demand. It's out of a... One of the things he did is he redeemed us. He brought us back into his economy. He brought us back into go, just like Jesus could never run out, you can never run out. And that's what 2 Corinthians 8 9 says. It says, you know what? You can always know that I will make all my grace abound to you, so you'll always have enough. See, one of the, one of the promises of the new covenant that people don't understand is, how would you feel if you never, if you knew you were, he was always going to take care of you, even financially? Wouldn't that give you some shalom? That's what he brought to bring onto the earth. And 2 Corinthians 8, 9 and 9, 8 says that. He said, you know what? I will make all grace, everything I've got abound to you so you always have enough and more than enough. That's one of the promises that he came. Because man, the minute he fell, he started to feel like, oh no, there's lack, there's fear. I might not have enough. Somebody might treat me wrong, etc." And love is the opposite. When you truly get love in your heart, it says, man, I just want to give and say thank you. So if you want to do that, we're just going to do that uh, as they're singing here. So Father, we love you, we praise you, we just magnify you. We just thank you that he was the perfect lamb without spot or blemish. Exactly where he had to be. Exactly where David watched over his flocks. Exactly where Boaz redeemed the field and made us all partakers of the whole field, not just the scraps. The exact place that Jacob brought Rachel to give birth to a lamb. Benjamin, the son of his right hand. The exact place where Jesus was announced to the shepherds and said, tonight, the Savior of the world is going to be born in the exact same place. He's redeemed every one of you. All you have left is the blessing, guys. You never have to fear him. You can come to him. Whether you need physical things, whether you need financial things, there's no limit to his saving power. There's none. You can call on him anytime. It says, you will have mercy, and I'll help you in any need you have. Amen? There's no fear in the new covenant. All it is is he's our good dad. He's our good father that loves us unconditionally. So, Father, we thank you for all those promises. Father, we thank you for supernatural health in people's bodies. We thank you for that you love all of us enough. You'll pursue us until we finally relent. Not out of anger, just because you love us unconditionally. You'll go to the ends of the earth to find the very last sheep. There's not one you're going to miss. I'm so confident of that. So we just say thank you that you were the Savior. You were the anointed one that was promised. So, Father, we just restore marriages, restore relationships. The only thing that keeps these things separated is just nonsense in our own hearts where we don't see you perfectly, that you love us perfectly. Just give us a revelation that you love us perfectly so we can love others. That's what you came to do. So we just say thank you in Jesus' magnificent name. Amen, amen, amen. If you want to give, you can give with the, the ushers or you can give on the way out. Let's just worship him. Save our sons and daughters.
was worshiping. Hey, Shalom. Merry Christmas. I want you to understand something. In the Old Covenant, when the, when the Lamb was accepted for the nation of Israel, which was really a picture of all nations, what could they expect that year? Blessing, honor, favor, power, glory, everything that the Lamb in Revelation died to redeem us for. Amen? So Jesus was the last sacrifice and said when that sacrifice happened, the perfect spotless lamb, that sacrifice lasts now for ever. It's over. When Jesus died on the cross, he goes, finished. I'm instituting into the new covenant, the new heaven, the new earth. All blessings are now yours. So expect the very best in 2018, guys. Expect his favor, expect his honor, expect his blessing, expect restoration. Everything he has, expect his comfort. That's who he is. So shalom, shalom, shalom. You're redeemed. Merry Christmas. You're released in Jesus' magnificent name.